Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. If you will, stand with me. We're going to look at John 21, uh, verses 1 through 17 and uh, read the passage here and pray that the Lord uh, moves in our midst. The word of the Lord in John 21, starting at uh, verse 1, it says, After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Again, this is after uh, the resurrection. Verse 2, Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. And they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you did not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Shepherd, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, once again for the public reading of Scripture. And we thank you, God, for the opportunity that we have to be together this morning. And I pray, God, that by your precious Holy Spirit, you will guide us in the Word. You will guide us in uh, the fellowship today and in the worship. God, that you would move in such a way that you alone are glorified and exalted in this place. And so I thank you for it, Lord Jesus. 
Thank you for your grace to us today. In your precious and holy name, we pray. Amen. Before you're seated, if you would, share a hand of fellowship and greet one another. Fellowship was an important aspect of the early church, and so greeting and sharing kindness and love is an important aspect uh, for you and I as uh, we serve the Lord together. You know, I was thinking as, um, as I was there just to ask you uh, on uh, Sundays, you know, we start at 10 a.m., and uh, I have the privilege of sitting here and watching the windows. So I see people roll in. Uh, <laughs> and, um, but what I would ask you is uh, to uh, set aside, at least on Sunday, let's not get in a hurry when we're together, okay, um, as a fellowship. You know, uh, let's not expect uh, to come in and come out and just fulfill whatever is next on the agenda. But if we could at least together, you know, plan on a Sunday uh, to have a couple hours together, you know, 10 to 12, and let's think, okay, it's going to be about 12 before we finish out. That's not because the message is so long, but it also allows us to do things like what we just did. Sometimes maybe if the message is short, it gives you a time to sit in fellowship with someone else, uh, encourage one another, not rush in and rush out. If we try to set that time together to truly build uh, fellowship within the body, love for one another, care for one another, uh, it's interesting the things you learn when you take time uh, to just be patient for a little bit and be patient with people. Uh, and uh, just, just would encourage each of us on that, myself included. Sometimes I'm eager to get to the next thing. And so I want to encourage us to be patient on Sundays uh, for the work of the Lord as he works through us. So with that said, I'm not intending this to be a long message uh, today, <laughs> but for most preachers, those are famous last words, <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, but I, I don't intend uh, a lengthy message, but I hope a message that, that ministers to our hearts this morning. In this uh, story, uh, which is, I, I, I call it a story because I don't know what other English word to use uh, for it, uh, but it, it is a historical fact of what has transpired, uh, but it is, it is a story that John tells uh, to us. We find uh, Peter and Thomas, Nathaniel, uh, James and John, and two other disciples who were not quite sure who they are. One of them is most likely John, the writer of this gospel, and then uh, a seventh disciple that were there together in uh, the boat. Peter uh, says he's going fishing, uh, and the others agree with him, and they get in the boat on the Sea of uh, Galilee, and it's best suited on the Sea of Galilee to fish uh, at night. And throughout the night, they had caught nothing. Uh, nothing had come in, and in early dawn, there's someone there on the seashore. We later find out is Jesus. They don't know it's him at first and tells them to cast the net down on the starboard side of the little boat. And they do as they are asked. And the Bible says that they catch 153 large fish uh, and their nets are not broken. And at this miracle, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is, uh, we believe, who is John, uh, that disciple asserts to Peter that this is the Lord that's up on the shore. 
And Peter uh, jumps in the water and tries to be first to get there to meet the Lord while the boat that's about 100 yards away uh, in the water brings uh, the net and the other disciples up uh, to the beach. When they get there, uh, Jesus has a charcoal fire going on the beach uh, with at least one fish, maybe more, and bread. And he asked them to bring some of what they have caught over to the fire as well. And Peter goes, uh, the boat most likely kind of near the shore, at the shore at this point. Peter goes, the scripture says, and he drags that net uh, to shore, which ought to tell us a little bit about Peter's uh, ability and his strength. Back at the fire, the disciples have breakfast with the Lord and There's still, we sense in the writing of this, a sense of awe about what has transpired through the Lord's resurrection. They're still kind of in awe that him who was crucified on the cross is now here on the other side of the grave and able to uh, eat and talk and communicate. And it's kind of this sense in the reading of the story that they know it's the Lord, but there's just this sense of Still kind of, this is an amazing thing to be experiencing. And so as breakfast finishes, Jesus kind of proceeds to question Peter directly, and he asks him this question three times, do you love me? And the third time that that question comes to Peter, Scripture says that he's grieved about it. It, it, It's wounding in some ways maybe to Peter. And it closes with this recommissioning of Peter to go and to do the work of the Lord. And so as I read through this passage, there's, there's many, many things, as it always is, that we could talk about or think about or could be preached to us uh, the, this morning. But I think there are a few things that uh, the Lord would, would speak to us uh, in our situation right now. And the first of that is that Jesus always knows the situation where you find yourself. So this morning, wherever you are, uh, whatever's going on in uh, your mind or in your family or in your work or in your circumstance, whatever's happening in uh, your life, Jesus knows clearly the situation in verse 5. He says, children, you do not have any fish, do you? And the question as it is posed, it expects the answer. We haven't caught anything. He knew that the night of fishing had produced no fish at all, that there was uh, this continual labor by the disciples throughout the night, casting and pulling in a net, casting and pulling in a net, trying to catch something, and yet nothing had happened. Children, you don't have any fish, do you? He knew their situation and the circumstances which had happened and where they were in their mind, but also where they were in the night of seeking to catch fish. The disciples in this instance had returned to what was familiar to them. I don't, some had estimated that it was probably wrong for them to go back fishing, but I don't think it was wrong for them to go back fishing at all. They needed to eat. They needed to support themselves. It was what was familiar to them, and so they went back to what was familiar. And all the effort that had been exerted through the night, trying to see something happen, trying to see something come to pass, it brought nothing. 
These were experienced fishermen. They knew how to catch fish. They knew how to study the water. If you've been out fishing at times, you can see maybe places where the water might ripple and you might want to cast your line. Or if you're a net fisherman, cast your net in that direction. They knew how to study these things. They had done it thousands of times before. And yet this time, with lots of effort to make a catch, but nothing, no catch. Disciples were doing everything necessary in order to make a catch. But the catch only came by the hand of the Lord in an unexpected time and an unexpected way. I thought about what our sister shared this morning when you said you were exhausted and so you knew God was going to do something. (laughs) I thought immediately about the disciples in this situation all night long trying to make something happen, doing what was familiar. They weren't doing anything wrong. Doing what was familiar to them, what they had done thousands of times before. Physical exhaustion. This wasn't easy work. You know, uh, nets today, even net fishing today is not really easy work. But net fishing then was all manual. The nets would have been uh, heavier than what we experience today. They would have uh, held water within the fibers. So picking it up and pulling it out of the water and then casting it back out again throughout the night, trying in order to catch something would have been exhausting work, which again tells us why at least Peter and probably the other disciples like him were people who had ability, who had strength, because they have been doing this throughout the night. They have been doing this throughout much of their life. And yet, what was very familiar to them did not produce anything that they expected. It was actually the hand of the Lord that brought the fish at an unexpected time and an unexpected way. That the catch came at dawn would have been on. Likely, a catch at dawn of this size would have been very unlikely. A catch of the size of fish. The Bible's clear. These were not just guppies that they caught in the net. These were actually large fish that would have been caught, and 153 of these large fish. And if you want an exercise this week, study the number 153. Go to some commentaries and look it up, and look at some of the, uh, some of the symbolism that might point towards uh, that number. Don't do it now. Do it later this week during your study. But unexpectedly and overwhelmingly is often how the Lord works in our life. And our desire to serve the Lord and see the fruit of the gospel, we are often discouraged at the lack of fruit in our own lives, at the lack of fruit maybe in our church or in the work that God is doing. And yet, in order to experience the unexpected and the overwhelming, the disciples had to be in the boat, they had to be in the water, and they had to be casting their nets. They weren't able just to kind of sit back and say, God's going to do all of the work and God's going to do what God's going to do. There actually had to be some energy expended in order for something to happen. Had they not been in the boat, had they not had their nets, had they not been coming in, Jesus couldn't have said, cast your net on the starboard side. 
Had they been sitting on the beach just waiting, maybe Jesus would come by and he'll just plop the fish right in front of us. That's not what happens at all. They're working, laboring. You know, I would have been frustrated all night long casting nets and not seeing any fruit from it. You know, it would have been, what is going on here? Jesus, I've already seen you a couple times here. I've seen you appear. I believe that you're the Messiah. I'm doing something to try to, you know, earn a living, to try to feed myself. And you're not even anywhere around to help me here. All night long, I'm exhausting myself. It was while the disciples were doing what was expected that Jesus intervenes at the exact right time and delivers the overwhelming and expected. You see, it related in our own situation is that sometimes we are faithfully doing the right things and our nets always seem to be empty. Doesn't ever seem to quite come together. I've gone through those seasons in my own life and it can be very difficult. It can be frustrating. You can wonder what in the world is going on, but I want to encourage you today to persevere because at the right time, God does the overwhelming and unexpected. He knows your exact situation. The Lord knows where you are. He knows your circumstance. He knows what's going on in your mind. He knew the disciples were on the water. He knew they were casting their nets through the night. And Jesus shows up on the beach at the right time. And Jesus will show up in your life, in your situation, in your circumstance, where you find yourself in the right time. Continue to be faithful. Jesus always knows your specific situation. The second thing that I think is important out of this passage is that Jesus always serves our needs. He always serves our needs. What a gracious, wonderful Lord that we have. Jesus had already prepared the meat the disciples need by providing breakfast for them. He has a charcoal fire going. Bread and fish are there. Apparently there was now, it's interesting. It's an interesting fact of the story. Apparently, there wasn't enough fish to feed all the disciples. So he asked them to bring some of the catch themselves. So if Jesus always serves our needs, I would say there is also expectation that we employ the provision he has already provided to meet our needs as well. You see, Jesus provided the haul of fish he provided the fire, he provided the charcoal, he provided the bread, he provided the beginning of breakfast, but he, now he says, hey, bring some of this other fish too. Bring what I have provided already, bring it over and put it on the fire. He had already provided plenty to feed those there and more but there was action that was required on the part of the disciples to turn what had been provided into the sustenance that was necessary to meet everyone's need. They had to take the fish that Jesus had provided in the nets. They had to bring the nets in, take the fish out, and bring it to the fire that Jesus had prepared in order for it to be cooked and made suitable to eat. Action 
necessary on the part of the disciples to appropriate God's already given provision to meet the immediate need of the hour. Now we can stand at the hall of fish bringing brought in and we can dance and shout about all these fish that God has brought in and be amazed at the miracle of the fish and what God has done. And it's so powerful and it's so mighty and it's so wonderful. And we can stand here looking at the hall of fish and never appropriate it to the fire to make it suitable for eating. Sit here and shout about the miracle and keep talking about the miracle. And it is a miracle and we ought to talk about it. It's written for our benefit, but there's a need to appropriate the miracle in order to turn it to sustenance in order to cause the body to continue to grow. You see, it's interesting, you know, you know, I take this illustration so far, but the fish that were provided in the net never reached the full potential of what they were intended to do, which is provide food for the disciples. They never reached the full potential of what they were intended to do until what? They're touched by the fire. You see, that's often our life and our circumstance as well. Uh, sometimes we have to go through that fiery experience. We should rejoice. We should, uh, we should uh, shout and give God praise for those who are being brought into his kingdom because that is wonderful and great. But we also ought to pray that they would be impacted by the Lord's transformative fire. We have to walk at times through the fire. Sometimes we have to help people come to the purifying fire of the Lord Jesus Christ to make them suitable for what is intended. And so wondering what, what is your role and what is my role to help bring the catch in? And once it is in, what is your role and my role to help bring it to the fire? What is your role and my role? to move people from the place of salvation to being suitable for use in his kingdom because you have a role and I have a role to play in that. The Lord wants to serve us. He wants to serve us and he always serves us, but there is a requirement on our part. He provides, he gives us what is needed, but we also must be engaged. We can't simply sit back and say, oh, God's going to do. God's going to do what God's going to do. There is some type of union between our action and God's miraculous power that brings things together. And that's when the overwhelming and unexpected happens. And we see in the last portion of this scripture that Jesus is always working for Restoration. This is, a, this is a curious interaction with Jesus and uh, Peter. So they're at this charcoal fire, and Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And the first time the question is, do you love me more than these? Meaning, do you, do you love me more than the other people standing around here? Let me go on to one of my kids and saying, do you love me more than the rest of y'all? Which one of you loves me the most? 
Jesus is asking, do you love me more than these who are here? And each time Peter answers affirmatively, affirmatively, he says, Lord, you know that I love you. And at last time, it grieves him in his heart. And You know, there is uh, some different language in the original that's used here. I'm not sure how much it impacts the interpretation of this passage. But in the beginning, when Jesus begins to ask Peter, he uses a certain word for love, that agape love, which many believe uh, in uh, the, the original language here, that's kind of that highest form of love. And Jesus says, do you agape love me? And Peter responds, I phileo love you, meaning I love you as a friend. Peter, do you agape love me? Peter responds, do you I, lo- I love you as a friend. The first two times and the last time Jesus, some say maybe Jesus kind of comes down to Peter's level and Jesus uses that word phileo. And the last one, hey, Peter, do you love me? Phileo, do you love me? And that's Peter is grieved, whether that's something going on there in uh, the language between Jesus and Peter that doesn't easily translate into the English here. I'm not entirely uh, certain on that because those words were often interchanged throughout the scriptures. What I do think is happening here is that there was a time before when Peter stood before another charcoal fire. A few days earlier, Peter had stood before a charcoal fire and three times Peter had denied the Lord. Three times Peter had denied that he knew, even knew the Lord. And Jesus, in his graciousness, is coming to Peter once again around a charcoal fire and gently restoring Peter to his calling. I believe more so than anything else what is happening here. It is the gentle hand of the Lord that is restoring Peter to the task that God has for Peter to do. And we ought to also note that the Lord commands Peter, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. There is no calling simply to position. It's calling to action. It's not just to sit back and someone to say, hey, pastor. It's to say, hey, Man, get moving and actually do something. Tend my sheep. Work with them. Help them to come into knowledge. Help them to grow in discipleship. Tend my sheep. Shepherd them when there's trouble. Be in action, Peter. Not just a calling to wear a badge, but be doing See, what I believe is that the calling and gifts of the Lord, as the Scripture says, are without repentance. God doesn't change those things. He calls you, and you're called. And for me to to, to know and affirm that God has placed upon me as an individual a pastoral call, frankly, it doesn't stop at the door of this church. If we were to, in our family gathering on the 22nd, someone say, we need to vote this guy out, and all hands are I, then I'm out the door. The pastoral calling doesn't stop because of a vote. Because it's action-oriented. 
Tending sheep, shepherding sheep, helping, engaging, being pastoral. If I have to go back in the marketplace in order to get a job, the pastoral calling is still without repentance. It's still active. It's not simply to have the opportunity to stand behind a pulpit and share the message. That's a great privilege and a great honor to be able to do that. But there is a sense that God has called you and God has called me, and we have to work out that calling in the context that God has given us. I want to be transparent with you. Is that... I think that's how we ought to be. But what happens is in our day of cameras and quick communication, things can be pulled out of context. And so then we start to be guarded a little bit because things can be pulled out of context and little snippets can be taken and little pieces of emails can be uh, sent off. And maybe we ought to be afraid of those things. Maybe we ought not be afraid of those things. And whether it is pridefulness on my part or just simply a desire to help, I've talked with some of the leaders of the church. I said, you know, at times I would like to simply be able to be in the marketplace and not have to take an income from the church to be able to bless the church. I don't know if that's God's plan. (laughs) I pray about it and I think about it. How can I serve in that way and in that capacity? Because what I know for certain is that my calling does not stop or does not change with the addition or subtraction of a paycheck. Just like your calling does not change or stop or increase with the addition or subtraction of a paycheck. You see, the blessing in this passage is Jesus said prior to the resurrection, you are the confession that Peter made. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are Peter, you are Petros. And upon this rock, I will build my church upon that confession of faith, Peter, that you have just made. I'm going to build my church. And after Peter has denied the Lord, and now the Lord in his graciousness is restoring him and say, Peter, you still have a calling to fulfill. You still have a purpose. You still have a plan in the kingdom to do something for my glory. See, sometimes in church life and the life of being a believer, we get wounded, don't we? And when we get wounded, sometimes our tendency is to back off completely, just like the dog that licks its wounds because it doesn't want to get hurt again. And we back out completely of serving the Lord because no one's going to hurt me like that again. No one's, going to, no one's going to come after me. No one's going to say anything negative. I'm just going to kind of back it up. But what I want to tell you today is God is the God of restoration. If there's ever been a calling on your life, if there's ever been a, a direction in which he has called and spoken to you, God will not relent from that calling in your life. He's not going to back up. He's not going to say, whoops, flub that one up. He wants you to step forward in the calling that he has for you. He wants you to serve faithfully in the calling that he has for you. But your calling is not to a title or to a position. It is to a work. What I believe 
for my own self, is that part of this fellowship, part of this church, part of our responsibility and what God has called us to. And why I say it's important for us to fellowship and to get to know one, one another, to be committed to our relationships with one another, to be committed in one another's lives, to invite people over to our house, to take people out to dinner, to engage people in this room, get to know people in this room, because there is a work that God has called us to do in unity. And everyone can sit around and say, well, we should be doing this, or we should be doing that, or we should be doing this, or we should be doing that, and that's good. Do it. Let's do it. Let's do it in unity. Let's do it in one accord. Let's do it faithfully. Let's do it for Jesus. Let's do it not considering the things of the past and what has been in the past, what has hurt us in the past, but let's let the restorative hand of God bring us to a place of going full force with Jesus until the end of our days. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Those of you who are regulars know I don't often approach the altar call in this way, but I'm going to ask you to bow, bow your heads and close your eyes here for just a few uh, moments here. If you'll come, uh, come on, come on, Nicole. Two specific calls, and I don't want to conflate the two. First, and specifically, a call for salvation. Do you know Do you know the Lord? Do you really know the Lord? Now, here, here is what that means. I'm grateful for uh, the opportunity that our brother and sisters had to go on this mission trip because one of the things that they shared with us today and I thought was very pointed is that you can be in church forever and never be saved. But I will say that if you are truly in fellowship with the Lord, that there is an assurance that that has happened. There's an assurance that you're in fellowship with Jesus. And maybe you're wrestling with that. You know, in our day of religious commitments, oftentimes we think that it always happens like that. And there is a sense of being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. There is this sense, but historically there's been this sense of people wrestling with the Lord, kind of like Jacob in the night, sort of this wrestling with God. Maybe you found yourself in that place that you have been part of a fellowship. Maybe you know the scriptures in some way, but maybe you continue to wrestle with the Lord. And I think the Bible says to us that today is the day of salvation. I believe the Lord is saying to you today, today is the day of salvation. So I want you to know before I ask you to make a commitment here, I'm going to invite you to come to the front here in just a moment and let people pray with you and seek the Lord with you. But if you're not certain about your salvation, you don't know that you truly have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've been in the church for a long time. Maybe that might even be a little embarrassing. It shouldn't be. I'm going to ask you just to slip your hand up and say, hey, I, 
I don't know. I don't know. Everyone head bowed, eyes closed. You're not sure this morning. If you know the Lord, second opportunity I'd like to offer to you the same way I am going to invite you forward you don't have to come but it does step out and say hey God's God's speaking to me if you have ever felt or sensed a call to any type of greater service maybe vocational service maybe a calling the church, you say, I've I've wrestled with that. I thought maybe God is speaking to me in some way. Maybe you're a young man, young woman. You sense God dealing in your heart. Maybe you're older. Maybe you've wrestled with it for some time. I ask you just to slip your hand up. Maybe you're not sure. It's okay. It's okay. Amen. 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 What I'd like to do first is ask some of our ministry leader in any way, if you just come step out here to the front. If you're, and if you're one of those who lifted your hand, I'm going to invite you to come as well. This is important you're one of those who lifted your hand, if you're just one, we're not going to ask you to do anything funny. (laughs) We just want to pray. That's all we want to do. It's okay to pray. You sense God has a plan. You lifted your hand this morning. I invite you to come. I invite you to come. God's dealing with you in some way. I need some brethren up here to pray. Please stand with these who are here at the front. Sisters, please come. Stand. There's joy in serving the Lord. It's joy in giving your life as a service to the Lord. As a local body, we want to support what God is doing. And so we're going to pray. They're going to lead us in worship. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God would move on our hearts this morning. Maybe if you're here today and you need that restorative work of the Lord in your life, that just like Peter, the Lord would speak to you tend my sheep shepherd my flock tend my lambs words of action and so Lord this morning we thank you God I rejoice Lord I'm so grateful God for those who are here this morning this whole congregation of people 
God, I believe this episode after your resurrection is so important in what happened. You encouraged, you blessed, you called to account, you restored. God, we thank you that you are gentle and gracious. God, I thank you for the power of your word that speaks to us about your character, about your love, about your kindness, about your graciousness towards us, Lord Jesus. God, I pray in these moments that those who are willing to step forward, those who felt that maybe it's not quite time yet, God, that you would work in such a way that you would affirm that calling. You would affirm, Lord, that you're speaking in such a way, God, that your name, your glory would be exalted in the earth. God, you have called us as a fellowship to see transformation in this community. Of that I am assured. Of that I am committed. God, that you have called us as your people. To see transformation in this community. God, I pray that by your gracious hand, you will help us. Though we may in this moment be exhausted, though there may be a whole lot going on, God, I know that though we have labored through the night, you will overwhelmingly and unexpectedly encounter us at the right moment, at the breaking of the dawn. We will see your glorious face, O oh Lord Jesus, and we will do your work, O oh God. We thank you, Lord. I pray your blessings, God, upon this fellowship, this people. I thank you, God, for calling us to faithfulness before you. And I pray, Jesus, God, that we would be compelled into the harvest. Lord, where there is weariness, where there is exhaustion, physical, emotional, spiritual exhaustion. Oh Lord, I pray that you will bring refreshment. God, I pray that you will bring encouragement and restoration. So as we continue in these moments of prayer and worship, they are going to lead us in song we would worship the Lord together and exalt his name as we continue in prayer this morning.